Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there, and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for another week of rugby chat. Uh, We've got a good weekend of rugby to talk about. The gap has tightened between Australia and New Zealand, mostly, but we will get into that shortly. I'm joined by my co-host, Ando Anderson. How are you tonight, Ando? Mate, I am very good. My uh, five-year-old soccer team had a win yesterday. They had six goals to three victory. And guess how many of those six goals my team actually scored? Two. That's perfectly correct. Well done. There were four (laughs) own goals from the other team. And you know what? We were getting spanked 13 to nil in the first couple of games of the season. So I'll take a win however we can get it. (laughs) That's great. Are you the coach? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nice. Very nice. Mate, if I can get them running in the right direction and uh, knowing when to stop chasing the ball, then that's, that's a victory for me. Yeah. It's interesting. When does it go from that horde mentality of everyone just chases the ball? What age does it shift to actually being competitive again where everyone actually has a position and starts to know what they're doing i think in the second season i've seen some of the kids who are about five or six but it's their second season of playing they can listen a little bit more to no 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 don't all crowd the ball like stay back a little bit and if it comes out then go for it like the my, my kids are getting there slowly some of them um, some of the better ones. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but they, they've definitely improved and are having fun. And that really matters because it wasn't fun to be. And with. that's the main thing. Yeah. That's the main thing, isn't it? Genuinely is. Awesome. Well, I've got a rugby related question for you, Ando. So let's get into it. And my question this week is if you can sign any player from anywhere in the world for your domestic side, who would it be and why? Oh, look, there's a lot to be said for Cheslin Colby. I, as soon as you said any sign, any player, I immediately went Cheslin Colby. I just think he's incredible. I think he plays with just a level of excitement and ability that there, I'm not sure if there's anybody in the world that can do what he can do. And that's why I would absolutely love to have him play for the Tars. Plus we need an out and out attacking winger who just gives his heart and defense as well, even if he's not that big. Uh, I would also be thinking of maybe... I would love to sign kind of 2014 era Jacques Potgitter again. Somebody, <laughs> yes. some like rough and tough, mean South African second rower. That'd be awesome. Like maybe like a Steph de Troyes. Um, okay. Steph de Troyes. That'd be awesome, even though I know he plays blindside, but I'm sure he could fill in a uh, lock for us. Well, we've got, we're both on the same sort of wavelength because I was thinking about this as well. And I thought that I'd love to sign Semi Radradra for the yeah, Waratahs cool. at the wing. I initially went to Cheslin Colby and I thought you'd go there too. But I think we need, in the Waratahs at the moment, a defensive winger as well as an attacking winger. And for me, Radradra is that defensive winger. So I would love to see him line up in the yep. back three for the yep. Tars. Good call. Good call. Uh, let's get into our social media platforms. 
All right, so you can hit us up on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook, pick and drive rugby podcast, and Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. We've had a lot of traction on there recently. We put out a really good post about what New Zealanders are thinking of the Super Rugby Trans Tasman (laughs) comp, and that sparked a lot of debate going back and forth. So thank you for everybody for getting involved. And I just want to say, and I, I was the one that put that out there, and I didn't want it to come across as facetious or defeatist at all anyway. I just know that... I, I I sent it out after the Waratahs game. It was a pretty bad shellacking by the Tars, or by the Highlanders for the Tars. And I was just wondering, this probably isn't fun for anyone on either side of the Tasman. So I really did just want to see what people thought in New Zealand. Because I know there's been a lot of comment in Australia around, this probably isn't the best model for Australian rugby moving forward. Wanted to see what it was going from the other side. So... Yeah, I don't want anyone to read that and think that I was having a whinge and saying we need to completely cut ties or anything. Just wanted to see what the, I guess, the theme over on the on the other side of the ditch was as well. Yeah, completely understandable. Well, if we move ahead to the Superbrew Yellow Cap for the week, congratulations to Liquorbox for getting 9.25 points in this round, which is insanely good. Got the Grand Slam and some really good bonus points as well. Well done. Uh, your brother Tim came in at second, 8.75, uh, tied with well Digger on 8.75 as well, which means the overall standings, Liquorbox has just taken over the lead from Rugby Sicko. It's incredibly tight. So so Wickerbox is in 32.25 and Rugby Sicko is on 32, followed up by Zinzan in third on 28. Where are you in the rankings, Mitch? 43rd, I think. Yeah, I knew that. I, will, I, do, have say it. <laughs> I do have to admit one thing. I forgot to put my tips in this week. I put, oh! I put my tips in for round, the Friday night games, very yep. close to kickoff when I remembered. And then I couldn't remember what I said in the pod for the, the Saturday games. And then I completely forgot about it. And then went to check the results this afternoon, just before the Rebels game kicked off. And realized I hadn't put my tips in and I got the default pick. So, some ways that worked for me, some ways it didn't. <laughs> Mate, that's rough. That's rough. <laughs> uh, so, okay, I guess my bagging you out doesn't have as much impetus then. But anyway, it was still fun. Did you know you're getting beaten by your mum and your brother? Yep. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm getting beaten by up. you as well. I think yeah. you're in I'm 16th ninth. or something. Ninth. ninth. Wow. Yeah. Very good. Top 10. Yeah, mate. I'll take it. It's probably the best I'm ever going to do. So I'm happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What we're going to do tonight. So we've got some talking points we'll go through from Trans Tasman round four. Then we'll get into your fan questions in the locker room before we do our previews for the final round of Super Rugby Trans Tasman next weekend. How does that all sound to you, Ando? Sounds brilliant. Let's jump into it. Let's go. Moving through the round four results now, we began the weekend with a Friday afternoon encounter between the Crusaders at home to the Western Force. They got up 29 to 21. The Reds faced the Blues at home and the Reds came away 24 to 31 losers. The Highlanders, first game on Saturday, defeated the Waratahs heavily 59 to 23. For the Brumbies, saved the blushes of the Australian Conference for another round, coming away 12 12-10 victors against the Hurricanes despite some incredibly nervy moments at the end of that match. Before the Chiefs defeated the Rebels 36-26 to today on Sunday afternoon. And the Rebels, despite having an absolutely shocker start to the game, first 25 minutes were dire in every sense of the word, 
came back and actually had a really strong kind of tail end of the first half and were able to close the gap, although the Chiefs were able to hold on for the win. So there's a lot to kind of take away from this weekend's rugby. A fair few of the games, well, actually all the games were a lot closer than previously, except for the Highlanders versus the Tars, but nobody's surprised by that at all. (laughs) The thing I wanted to start our conversation with is starting with the first game of the weekend, the Crusaders versus the Force. Um, The thing I just am consistently amazed by is the capacity by the Crusaders just to be what we might call like a uh, a hashtag championship team. They they always manage to have depth. So despite the fact that they rested some of their frontline players like Richie Mwanga, they still scored at the times of the game that they needed to score. So they're scoring right on the extra time minutes from uh, Havili Tolitui um, on the 41st minute, so one minute into the extra time, and then Will Jordan scores in a 46th minute, just the other side of half. I, Mitch, am just constantly amazed by the, the capacity of New Zealand teams to score in that five or ten minutes at either side of the half. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a trend that New Zealand have been doing for the last few years. It's those championship minutes that they know that's when... I don't, know, I don't want to say that the Australian teams switch off, but they know that it's most important to get that dominance leading into halftime and to come home strong at the end of the half. So they always seem to be able to win those dominant minutes right leading up into halftime and right at full time. Uh, very, very rarely do we see a New Zealand side... Well we generally see in New Zealand sides having some chance to win a game like we saw in the um, the Canes and the, the Brumbies, but this week didn't sort of work out for them. One thing I will say about the Crusaders is similar to your point, Andrew, they have just built such an institution there that even I reckon their third strength side would still put in the performance that their first rate side would. They just have such a great talent system of bringing through players who know the way that the Crusaders want to play and the, the style of play. Um, and they just they just come into Super Rugby at this next level and are just automatically ready to step up, which I'm very envious of as an Australian fan because we always seem to be two or three steps behind in that department. And I think there's so much that we can say about the poor... Um, planning, the poor succession planning from a lot of the Super Rugby teams. Some of that comes down to depth. Some of that comes down to selection pathways and recruit or talent pathways. Uh, there's there's a lot that can be said, but the New Zealand teams just by and large, and a part of that's just due to the demographic nature of like New Zealand as a country and how they are smaller. So much of their country is just focused on rugby union rather than anything else. Like, none of this is new, but it just means that they have this depth that the player that they can draw upon that produces these absolutely incredible players that can come on and just just have a really strong game despite not having that much game time previously uh one of the interesting things is i've i like the force i really do but i also don't inherently buy into the hype that they're like a really good team because then they're not the fact that they haven't like won many games yet (laughs) this season i think is pointing to that um i really think i'm really excited for next season for the Western Force. And the reason why is because they were in this game for large portions of it, but it was just these small little moments that were letting them down. Because I think the word I would use to describe them is brave, but also within that, they just are making these mistakes that you don't want teams that are going to be challenging for that top one or two position to be making. And I'll give you an example. So the Crusaders score in the extra time of the first half to jump out to, what was it, a 
what lead did they take in? It was a 17-14, no, 22-24-14 lead into the half, right? And then yep. Will Jordan scores on a 46 minute to take it out to 29-14. And from that point on, you're kind of thinking it's going to be hard for the force to get back into this game. All right, so that's on the 46 minute, Jordan gets his, Will Jordan gets his second try of the game. And in the 43rd minute, after this period of two or three minutes of awesome pressure on the Crusaders try line, starting off the second half, they get a penalty, they kick it out for um, a line out, and then Kaitu just absolutely bottles <laughs> it and th- does a massive overthrow, not even close but just a, a complete miss. Now, Kaitu's line-out throwing has not been great this season. He's had some games where it's been decent and then some games where it's been diabolical. This is probably a mixture between the two of them. Now, Kaitu has a whole bunch of strengths, but line-out throwing probably isn't one of them. And that's just an example of just these small things that creep in to just throw a something in the cogs of the force machine. Because if they get that try there, it takes them to 24-19, perhaps 21-19, and it's an entirely different match. An entirely different match. So I want to see the Force start to get those little basic errors out of their game because they're doing so much right, but also letting themselves down. So next season, I'm hoping with another season of high-level rugby is super rugby, these players will have those little kinks ironed out. Yeah, definitely. For me... This game sort of highlighted some of the issues that became a theme for this round of Super Rugby Trans Tasman, particularly for the Australian sides. And I don't really understand why, but we started to see a lot of the same mistakes being made by Australian sides across this whole round. So one of the things that I noticed quite quickly with the Western Force is in their defensive efforts, they were shooting up off the line to make one-on-one hits and not making that and not taking that defender to ground. They'd either try and intercept a pass or they'd rush off the line to make a tackle and leave a wing space open. So that first try uh, by the Crusaders, or the sorry, this is Crusaders' second try, was a defensive misread by Tony Pulu, who raced up to shut down the man, but the, the winger outside him is completely open and all it means, he misses the player with the ball and then they just pass it past him to then score with an open try line. And the Waratahs did it a few times. The Rebels did it a few times this afternoon. So I don't know what, why we're, it's a theme of Australian rugby at the moment. When you're on that goal line defense, that you're going for sort of the miracle intercept instead of just sticking to your man and trying to make that hit. Yeah, Morgan Tiranui was saying, because he, he spoke specifically to that example with Tony Pulu, and he argued that it was the capacity of New Zealand teams to be stretching the defence either way that leads to um, defence, like the pressure, and the defensive team is under a large amount of stress, and the stress causes bad decision-making. Yeah. So Tony Pulu knows he's outnumbered, and the, the right thing would have been done for him to try and drift and jockey back in a bit of a diagonal direction back to the corner post to buy some time for cover defense to come across. But he doesn't. He tries to go up. So, yeah, you're right. It is the wrong decision. And the argument is that it's caused by the stress of players being at, being out of alignment, Tony Pillow having a bunch of forwards inside of him and feeling like he needs to do something to try and cover for that. So there's just poor decision-making, which is brought about by stress and pressure placed on the defense by continuous attack, fast-paced attack, stretching it from one side of the field to the other. Yeah, exactly. And we'll, uh, Thomas Kubeli did it again in the 46th minute for Will Jordan's second. Again, goes for the intercept and leaves the try line open where they score through. So... 
it's a theme. Um, and yeah, as you said, Ando, it's probably due to the Crusaders or the New Zealand systems being able to stretch us. But we need to be better than that. Our wingers need to be better than that because the the Wallabies, when we get to the international stage, that's going to be a massive difference that could really hurt. Yep. Now, I want to put this out there. I don't know the guy, so please, this isn't personal. I don't rate uh, Jake Strawn very much at all at fullback for the force. Uh, <laughs> did you see that that absolute bottled mistake in the, uh, what was it, 40? It was after, it was Will Jordan's triple, his hat trick that got denied. How Jake Strawn tries to jump in from the outside after uh, retrieving a yeah. kick for line out and then throws it to Miotti, but like, bottles the pass and it goes too far in front of Miotti who fumbles it and Jordan just comes through, picks it up. But luckily, Strawn's foot touched the line as he was landing, so isn't it wasn't that, a fair catch anyway. Isn't that a, a an unusual circumstance in rugby that the defending yep. team can cause an infringement and do the wrong thing, but you as a try-scoring team don't get the try awarded because of something they did previously? I know. I was just like, thinking, it's should bloody be... right. They should have just let that play. <laughs> yeah, like, surely that should be advantage. Yeah, um, and I would technically have so. the ball's I dead, mean... but they ended up, the team with the ball ends up scoring off it. So, in, yeah. in the rules, it's, it's correct, but it's just an unusual one that you're not rewarding the attacking team who's actually scored. You're taking back and rewarding yeah. the attacking team in that situation. I just don't particularly rate him. He had a couple of defensive misreads at points, he dropped a couple of balls as well. I just. I don't know. I'm not sure if he's really the best player, but I'm assuming that they've just got injuries in the back line. Like Byron Ralston must still be injured, and that's why he's not getting a yeah, look in. He is. Um, yeah, I think they're also... Yeah, and Jordan Olafell is just an out-and-out winger, must be. And they're also looking to the future now, because I don't think we're going... And I don't know specifically how long Rob Carney signed for with the Western Force. Was it one year or was it two years? I thought it was one year. I yeah, it was so one year. he's gaming to the end of his tenure. And then we've got the two um, Argentinian players who are off next year over back to Europe. So they really start need to start looking to the future and having that succession plan. Now that they know that they're in Super Rugby moving forward, they're back in to stay. It's not just a one or two season thing. They need to start looking at what's gonna what's gonna be the bare bones of their team moving forward. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, other quick point we'll say before we maybe move on is Tony Pulu seems to have a somewhat significant knee injury. So we haven't had an update yet on how that turned out. There were people that were talking him up to be a smoky for the Wallabies. I really don't see that at because all. Because he scored a try? <laughs> because he danced yeah. around one player? <laughs> like, come like on. Like it was a great step. It was a great it step was, of Will It Jordan. was. Yeah, okay, no, cool. Well done. No disrespect but... to him. He did well. But he also, defensively, he was he had some defensive mishaps this game as well. So I don't know if you can just pick a player and the potential that he has to be really good and get around players if he can't defend. It's this it's the same conundrum of Mark Nawong and Itawasi the Waratahs. He by all measures probably shouldn't be starting for the Waratahs, but because we've got so many injuries there, he has to start. And we saw it this week clearly that they scored some easy points through him. Agreed. And I think it just speaks to the tendency or maybe the issues that we have in Australian rugby that we're kind of lacking in depth. So we try, or maybe we're lacking in good news stories. So we always want to go, oh, who's the next big thing? Who's going to be the bolter into the Wallaby squad? And then we recognize that our team is 
plays so up and down and has one good game and then gets smashed over in New Zealand the next game. And it's like, well, maybe we should have picked players because they're consistent. I can understand. So I can understand why people are saying this. Like, you look at this competition, you go, wow, this person did really well against the Kiwi sides. So they deserve to be in the Wallabies because that's basically at the moment in Australian rugby, we don't really care about how we beat France. We don't care how we beat England. We just want to put the best team for that's going to beat New Zealand because we play them so bloody often. So it's, it's a little bit, I can understand why people go, wow, he, he danced around three Crusaders players. The Crusaders are amazing. He must be good. Let's put him in the Wallabies. I can understand why people do that. Yep. All right, let's move on to the next game. So the second game of the round was the Reds hosting the Blues, and I picked the Reds to win this game. And I, the problem is we make our picks the Sunday or the Monday, and the teams aren't released until Wednesday or Thursday. And then there was like late injuries as well. So we had both Bryce Hegarty and James O'Connor unavailable. Well, no, no one would have known that. That was on Saturday morning that those players got those injuries. But yeah... Completely yeah, different, true. isn't it? That's a good point. Yeah, so it just sucks because I'd pick them. Yeah, if if I'd known that those two went in, I wouldn't have picked the Reds. Uh, but either way, the Blues came away 31 to 24 victors. And they were pretty good for it, to be honest. The Blues, in many ways, uh, bullied the Reds at various points. I think that the forwards for the Reds found it really hard to stand up. And I'm going to say something which is somewhat contentious but it needs to be heard in the case of point that I love Ned Hannigan so this isn't (laughs) as much of an insult as some Australian rugby fans would think okay I think Angus Scott Young is in many ways the Ned Hannigan of the Queensland Reds not only because they look similar but because I think that if Angus Scott Young was able to put on a few more kilos and bulk up just that little bit more he'd be a fantastic player And at the moment, he's very good, but I just don't think he has the bulk or the size to be able to impact in the way that his work rate, uh, I would, I wish he would to combine with the work rate that he has. Does that make sense? I think so. Like he's got a really good work rate. Are you saying saying he needs to be bigger than Ned Hannigan? No, I'm saying, you know how Ned Hannigan sucked for a while and he got picked for the Wallabies too early because Checker saw his... I feel like Checker saw his development pathway where he would be rather than where he was now. And then in the last season or two, Ned Hannigan did get a bit bigger. He matured a bit more because he was a bit older and he obviously did a bit more work to get some muscle mass. Um, And he he was one of the Waratahs' best players last season. And I think that is where kind of Angus Scott Young is at. He's already a really good player, probably better than where Hannigan was. Um, but he is just lacking a bit in physicality because he's not as big as some of the other loose forwards going around in the competition. And I think he'd be served just because he's still a young player in just getting some more muscle mass on him just because he's he, he doesn't go wide. He's not known for his speed. I think he's one of the slowest people in the Reds team anyway. Um, and he would really just benefit from a little bit more bulk to go along with the work rate that he has. Definitely. Yeah. But he's he is young. he's got the time to develop, and I definitely see him lift like growing to jersey yeah, a bit. Yeah, definitely. And this for him is massive. like he'll take a lot of learnings out of this experience of playing for the Red Wings rugby. Going into Tasman, all of the and Reds team will grow tremendously from this year. So hopefully they can shift that experience into Wallabies later in the year. Hey, it's pretty great. Did you know that he's uh, wanting to become a doctor? So he's doing a doctorate. Um, he's doing his medical degree on the side. He played union, so I'm not surprised. 
Uh, mate, that's very elitist of you. That's very elitist. Um, <laughs> anyway, I was just looking at his age. He's 24. Um, so, it's yeah, he definitely has uh, couple of, plenty of room, plenty of time to develop. Now, the Reds, this was a this was a really competitive game. It was really enjoyable to watch. And the, the key difference or the turning point in my mind was what I thought was actually a pretty harsh yellow card to uh, BPA, Brendan Pangomosa. Uh, he he got yellow carded for um, basically do not deliberately not rolling away, collapsing a ball and then not rolling away. But what I think basically happened was the mall had collapsed. He obviously didn't assume he was at fault for it, or maybe he knew it anyway. And then he lies on top of the ball because when a mall's collapsed, um, be it legally, you don't have to roll away. And so the ref has pinged him and then given him a yellow card. And I just thought that was harsh because i don't think they'd got a warning by that point had they the words the referee said was and he he pinged bpa for collapsing the mall initially he was he said that he brought that mall to ground and that's why he uh pinged him he didn't ping him for not rolling away because once you've called the mall the players therefore when it goes to ground don't have to move there's legally you're allowed to lie over the ball and keep it in if it is a collapse mall he said that he brought it to ground and it was frustrating because he hadn't given them a warning for that. He hadn't given them a warning for repeated infringements in the 22. It was the first one, and he's gone that cynical yellow card. But I don't agree with that. I don't think he purposefully collapsed them all. And Liam Wright said to him straight after, he said, well, can you just be aware that we're driving forward and the players are tripping, they're tripping over because we're driving them backwards and falling over. And he said, I didn't see it that way. That's not what happened. So he thinks that Brandon Pangramosa purposely took the ball to ground or collapsed that mall. But then Lucan Salakailoto did the exact same thing at the next... They The Blues kicked the ball out and took it to a mall again and he did the exact same thing. Now, I could understand Lucan getting the yellow card because it's two of the exact same infringements right after one after the other. But the fact that he yellow carded BPA straight away was completely puzzling to me. Yep. Yeah, it was really difficult. Um, and then within that 10-minute period where BPA was off the field, they scored two converted tries. So the score went from uh, 7-3 to 7-17. And then for the rest of the game, the they were just trying and to catch up. It's just, yeah, incredibly difficult. They? they were trying to catch up and get back in into the game and trying to be competitive, which to, all, to their credit, they did. And they hung, right, they hung in there right until the end. And they denied the Blues that bonus point at the end there. But yeah... Very difficult yep. to do that when you've got ten min ten, a man in the bin for ten minutes, and it's your your hooker. Yep, yeah, and it was yeah. I just I just really rated the way in which the Blues were able to capitalize, the way that they scored the two tries. The first one was just from um just really close pick and drives and keeping it close to the ruck, and taking it through the Reds forward pack who were a man down. But then the second try to Mark Talea was a, it was a combination of kind of the bullying up the middle and then forcing a bad defensive yeah, read from Josh Nasser, uh, Nasser, yeah. yeah, who was okay. a replacement on for BPA. And um, he rushes up, tries to make an intercept stupidly and misses Talea and he just walks, strolls on through untouched for the try. And that just comes down again from that defensive pressure too. So it was really um, offensive pressure. It was, it was really hard to see because I wanted the Reds to perform better. But if you consider the fact that they lost the two playmakers at the start of the game 
um, bef- on the day of the match, both Jock and Hegarty were unavailable. And you had Hamish Stewart, who I had no idea was capable of sitting in at 10, actually pre- play a pretty decent game at number 10, apart from that first nervy charge down. Well, he, he, has, he has played at 10 before. He played some yeah, NRC cool. there. Okay. So he has done Well, at least I've got that yeah. depth there. But let's let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about that selection issue there for a moment. Uh, do you back Brad Thorne's decision to bench, or to not even bench, but to completely drop out of the 23, Uru and McWright? And then even when you lose James O'Connor and Bryce Hagee to not bring either of those those guys back into the starting 23? Yeah, that's a really good call because... Who have you put on the bench for them? You've got Sam Wallace, who's in there, and Angus Blythe. Um, I don't, I don't mind Angus Blythe being in there for Seru Uru. Uh, I think that Angus Blythe is a pretty decent player. Yeah, um, I, agree with I probably prefer Blythe to start rather than come off the bench. I don't think he's a particularly good impact player. I think Seru Uru has a bit more dynamism in his yep. play, particularly if he's picking a ball up and trying to run through the gaps around the posts, um, like pillar and post kind of thing. Uh, but also, surely Fraser McRight is better than Sam Wallace. I, I, I barely know anything about him. Well, he brings yeah, the leadership. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't he bring in the leadership? When you consider that you're losing your your captain, your first choice, well, you know, your shared captaincy yep. with Liam Wright, but you lose that. And when you take that away, when you take James O'Connor off that field and you've only got Liam Wright there, there is actually quite a gap in who's going to step up as captain afterwards. So Liam Wright got substituted in the second half, and Lucan Salakai-Loto ended up as the captain. Now, no disrespect to him, I think he's a great player, but I don't see him necessarily as a leader in that Reds pack. Uh, I I think that that was a, dis- a questionable decision to not have a, a backup captain option when... James O'Connor was no longer available because I would have assumed that once James O'Connor wasn't a- able to play, you'd slot yep. Bryce Hegarty in and he would be a captain substitute as well to lead that back line around. You lose him, you probably need someone like Harry Wilson or Fraser McWright yep. to step up. Yeah, an interesting thing to look at. I was just going through some of the stats for this game. Uh, guess how many runs Siliasu Vunavali had? Three. One. Guess how many meters he made? Twelve. Two. Oh, really? Yeah, and so unless these stats that we have here are wrong, which, I mean, they're usually pretty accurate, um, Vunavalu had basically really minimal impact upon the game, which is quite when surprising. Did, when did he get subbed off? He did get he did go off with a hamstring injury, and uh, I maybe, feel like it that must was have been, close to the half. It must have been early then. Uh, he went off... Uh, 60th minute. Okay, I thought it was earlier than that. That's interesting that they weren't able to utilize him, but then... At the same time, it's not surprising when you've got a center pairing that doesn't have a whole exactly. lot of game time together. Yep. You've also got Hamish Stewart, who's a center, playing at fly half. So you're not really able to unlock those wider guys. Dalgunu really had to go looking for the ball, in, particularly in the, the second half. And he was effective in trying to get his hands on the pill and getting that kick across to score that try that reignited the Reds, probably a little bit too late. But yeah, when you've got a backline that's all sort of everyone's playing out of position, you're not utilizing your your attacking wingers as much. Yeah, agreed. I thought Mac really played fairly well at fifteen. Uh, he was pretty decent. So yeah, I was yeah. I was really impressed with with that, considering that he has he found out that morning that he was starting. Yeah, he was meant to be playing so club has, game or something like that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. So the fact that he's come in and I was really impressed with him. Yep. He's 
that it goes to show that they've got a good system there that they're bringing in this talent through. Yeah. And that Brad Thorne hasn't seen this guy and gone, oh, he's brilliant. Let's just throw him in. That he hasn't had game time yet and he has in the system for a year or two. So that's a good thing to see as well. And I want to just quickly say before we move off and move into the next game is I was so surprised that Dakun who kicked that penalty goal in the 79th yes, minute. Yeah. And he kicked yep. it so well. So simple. It was 35 meters, 40 meters out or something. And he's just slotted it over quite easily. They missed a few penalties earlier on. Why wasn't he kicking earlier? <laughs> I don't know, mate. I don't know how often he what kicks can't it, he but... oh, What can't he do? That's a good question. He's actually been so much better in not getting red and yellow cards this this year. It was a feature of his game previously that that would be... Uh, he, he'd he'd make one stupid tackle in preseason in, in some of the trial matches and then miss like the first four rounds of the competition. But he hasn't done that this year, <laughs> so well done. Um, well, in his defense on that, he he... He's behind um, Pattaya for that wing position. And so he's only been starting since Pattaya got injured. True. What, last week or the week before? True. So. True, true, true. Okay, now let's move up to the game of the round, which everybody was hanging out to watch, <laughs> which was... Did I say that with a straight face? Good, good. 59-23, uh, absolute shellacking by the Highlanders against the Waratahs. To the Waratahs. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, I don't know how much I want to say in this game. The, the halftime score wasn't too bad. It was 33 to 23. And well, it should have been a lot closer. It sh- yeah, it should have been. Talk to us. Tell us why. It should have been. So it should have been 26 23 at halftime. Uh, and the, the Waratahs let the Highlanders score in the, as we said before, the, the sort of championship minutes once the, the scooter had gone and the, the half was ticking down. They let the, the Landers in to go to the half 33 23. So they were within seven three points and the 40th minute. And then the Highlanders got back up into the 22 and then spread it wide. And there was a massive defensive mind blank by uh, Jack Maddox to go for the intercept and not stick with his man. Like we spoke about in, in the Western force game to let them score that try. And from that point, it really started to stretch and get away from them. I think it would have been massive for this young team to go into the half three points down, considering that the, the, the lead for that game had swapped hands number of times in that first half but that 10-point buffer really, I think, hit their confidence quite hard because they just went to pieces in the second half. Yep, yep, I completely agree. And when we just look at the injuries that they had, I mean, they Dave Parecki came off injured throughout the game. They didn't start with Angus Bell or Harry that Johnson was, Holmes. That was heartbreaking, uh, sitting here, yep. not just as a Waratahs fan, but as an Australian rugby fan. You could see on his face that he was devastated that he got injured. Because yeah. I think he's in frame for a Wallabies call-up. And as a journeyman, he's come back to Australian rugby. He's played some pretty good rugby this year. So he's definitely in the frame to be included in that 40-man squad. And this injury, potentially, we don't know exactly what it was or how long he's out for, but it could see him sideline for a little while. And as soon as he got, he, he just looked shattered. He was yeah. not happy. He was not happy at all. And I really felt for him. Yeah, and I think um, the... Look, there's just so many questions and things that we could whinge about from what the Waratahs have been doing. And so much of this or is just repeating doing. the same. Well, yeah, but it's just, it's just, it's like a record's playing. It's just skipping over the same points again and again and again. So we, we lose two of our um, Wallabies, although Harry's only got the one cap, but regardless, two Wallabies before the, during the week to various injuries and niggles and stuff like that. And so, who do we have as our starting front row? Andrew Tuala, Dave Parecki, and Darcy Breen. Now, 
out of all respect to them, they're just... Dave Parecki is probably the one I would say at this point in his career is super rugby level. Darcy and Andrew Tuala, not yet. Um, and then who did we have on the bench? Robbie Abel, Vunapolo Fafita, and Chris Talakai. Chris Talakai has been around the system for a while, but hasn't been training with the squad this year or this season. He's been off playing club rugby. And we, we it just shows you, like you look at the Crusaders or you look at the Highlanders or Canes and they have a bunch of injuries, arrest a bunch of people, and they can bring on people who are at, and near the same level as those that are replacing, they are replacing. Yep. And then we bring on these people who just lack significant experience or in the case of Robbie Abel, like he just, he can't throw a line out. And it I goes to show to in that. the 65th oh. minute, I think it was, they had a line, attacking line out on the Highlanders five meter line and he just throws it completely over the top and gives possession straight back to the Highlanders. And that was just the theme of this game is that Waratahs would set them up, themselves up to be successful and then a simple mistake would, would lead to a, basically a try scoring opportunity for the Highlanders. They were that defensively yeah. poor that it only took one line break and then they weren't not no one in that back three was able to stop them. They just ran through untouched. Yeah. Yeah. I um I was really happy. I mean, look, we're an Aussie podcast, so we're focusing on the Aussie team. So there's I gotta try and find something positive to say. Uh I really love the work that Carlo Tizano is doing. I just think he's leaving at the end of the season so they're not giving him full game times because he should have continued playing he, he he was having a fantastic match um but they they did take him off uh i also rate izzy parisi as a i'm not sure if you'd even yeah you would call him a bolter at the moment because he wasn't in a 40-man squad a bolter for the wallabies squad and a wallabies match day 23 i think he is just he's stepping up in a rubbish team that is performing poorly and making big plays, big runs, big defensive reads every single week. And so you can't um, you can't fault his energy and you can't fault his impact in a losing side. But I guess it goes to show that how good he could be and what impact he could have on games if he had a support around him. We saw we see it particularly yep. with Hunter Paisami backs for that. He's always got someone who's offload the ball to. And the Watar doesn't he make a break and Buster to goes to Greg and turns the ball over because there's no one or there's no one to offload. So there's a lot of shit at the moment. That's just one of them. Yeah, <laughs> there's many. Yeah. There's many. That being said, Will Harrison had a pretty decent game, starting back at ten um, after Donaldson's groin injury, I think it was. And we also saw the injection of Rabani Warren Vosayako. And I barely noticed. Where was him he playing? Was field, so I, I know, know he was on on one, that. but was he lock? <laughs> lock? Uh, number eight. Yeah, at number eight. It was loose forward. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, because Dempsey didn't finish the match and Caird would have been... Uh, actually, Harris was probably at eight. I don't know. I don't know. It was hard to watch because we were just getting smashed and in the end, I ended up helping to look after the kids rather than finish watching it. <laughs> I We've got to be positive and the Waratahs did do well in the first half to stay with the Highlanders. So it was only that last try in the first or 42nd yep. minute that really blew it out. But they they could get up there and they yep. could score tries. And one thing that's been interesting to see with this Waratahs team, they're actually making New Zealand teams defensively poor. It, this game was, particularly the first half, was very much like that Hurricanes yeah, game in the first yeah. round where defense was optional and both teams just were refusing to tackle plays and everyone was just running through and scoring tries. Especially when you're the Waratahs and your defense is worse than a leaky sieve. 
as well. So one of the great tweets that got put out by Tom Decent, Jerno, uh, was pointing this out. When Rob Penny got sacked, Tars had lost five on the bounce. Since then, they've been rolled seven in a row and conceded 45.1 points per game. Something tells me he wasn't the problem. Defense is just woeful. And that is exactly the thing that I think every Australian rugby fan was pointing out previously. Um, the When Rob Penny was sacked, he wasn't inherently the problem within this team. And sacking him mid-season wasn't going to change things. We've seen that for the Tars. We've seen that for the Melbourne Rebels. That sacking a coach mid-season does not fix the problem. And if anything... They are going just as badly, if not a bit worse, than what they have done previously. So it's been really, really hard to just sit back and almost see the Waratahs in some ways regress. Because I know Jason Gilmore and Chris Whitaker are definitely trying. I know all the team, the players, are trying and doing their best. And sometimes they're actually just working way too hard. There was a really big point where... um, oh, I can't remember what minute of the game it was. But... You know what? I'm not even going to go through it. Basically, I'm just super frustrated and I think we spent more than enough time on this game and it doesn't deserve any more of our time. Are you okay to move on? Yeah, let's go. Okay, let's keep on tracking. So the next game was the bright shining light of Australian rugby for the weekend. The Brumbies 12-10 victory over the Hurricanes. It was incredibly nervy. Came down to two missed penalties in the last couple of minutes by uh, Geordie Barrett. It's good to know that he too is human and that he can have a rubbish night and not play particularly well. So the Brumbies, I'm not sure if you'd say... Well, would you say they're deserved winners if they really just scraped away with it? Like, I feel I feel like it's a lucky win, but you, I guess you create your own luck if we're just trying to put in as many cliches as we possibly can into one sentence. Yeah, I think they have to be awarded for the, rewarded for the fact that they kept the Hurricanes to twelve point uh, to ten points. So the Hurricanes have shown this year that they're able to score points and they're able to to rack up uh, against the op- the Australian opposition. And the the Brumbies did keep them to only scoring one try. Uh, and a penalty. So, yeah, I think they need to be rewarded for that. Yep. And uh, I thought within the Brummies match, it was a really... You just had a couple of key players really stepping up and making big impact on the game. So I think we can really just focus for the next 15 minutes on the first try scorer for the Brumbies. Uh, remind <laughs> me who that was again? Uh, Rejan Pasatoa. Ryan Wanigan. Ah, uh, get in. Ryan Wanigan. <laughs> uh, I actually didn't think he was incredible for this match from uh what i was able to see of it but regardless um i think it's good the succession planning that they're happening although have you heard the news that um looking at isaac fines leliwasa uh bailey kunzel and ristjan pasato are all going to the force next season i have yeah i have heard that it's big big news isn't it good signings by the force That's these massive. guys i mean i haven't need game time i haven't heard it fully confirmed yet yeah it's sort of been it's been leaked by the Western for or the Western Australian media, but it hasn't been confirmed by well in saying that actually, I did see a tweet by Laurie Fisher saying he wishes those guys all the best at the force. So for me that kind of confirms oh, it. Oh, did they? Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I didn't see that, but cool. 
Yeah, um, but yeah, I think but it's right. You're right. They need the game time. The game time. That they really should be expecting because all of them are really strong players. But they're who are they behind? So Isaac Fines is behind Nick White and Ryan Wanigan. Although he could justifiably be challenging Ryan Wanigan, he offers a different game to what Wanigan does. Yeah. Um, and then Bailey Kunzel is going to be behind, obviously Noah Lolasiu, and. Then, uh, who and else was I saying? Ristran Pasatoa is again behind him and Lenikatao. So it's tough. Or Ire Simone. And they go over to the Western Force and they, they could be starters next year. So the Western Force lose Kubeli and they've got uh, Ian Pryor, but he's not starting at the moment for them. So Rejan Pasatoa really shapes up as that first, that starting nine for the Western Force next year. And that'll be great to see. No, wait, Ristran is starting nine. Don't you mean isn't, isn't he? Is yeah, that's that's the one. Sorry, yeah, I mixed those two up. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. It's all good. Um, but actually focusing on this match, what comments did you have about the game itself, mate? Yeah, I just think the Brumbies did really well to, to keep the Hurricanes to only one try and one conversion, and they put that pressure on them. Uh, you could say that they were lucky to get away with it at the end there, but... The Hurricanes never really looked like uh, getting getting any more ahead than the Brumbies did in this game. So the two tries that they scored, and it, I was really impressed with Nick White coming back from injury in this game. That the minute he got back on the field, the Brumbies sort of shifted to another gear. Now that's no disrespect yeah. to Ryan Lonigan, and it probably comes down to just his experience in the fact that he can move the ball around a little bit faster. He picks holes, he creates holes for his backs, uh, and that's what really I think helped the Brumbies when Nick White came on in that sort of six, what, 55th, 60th minute, uh, some tired defenders from the Hurricanes, and he just was able to hit those holes and set up that try perfectly for Ikatao. I think I think Mac Hansen's going to be a pretty big loss as well because he's heading over to Connacht in Ireland next year, and he's actually been shaping up as quite a good winger. Yeah, I've been impressed with him, but I've also been impressed with Solomon Carter as well coming back. And I think one thing that we've noticed across the board in this Kiwi in this Trans Tasman competition is the Kiwis backs are just physically a lot bigger than us in Australia. Yeah. The Reds get away with it with having uh Vinovalu out there, but Dalgunu's not massive and he goes up against some pretty big bodies, but their centers Paisami's not massive either. And they kind of get monstered around a bit. We're not making the gain line meters that the Kiwis are making. So I think the Brumbies are really are really lucky to have a player like Solomon Carter because he is that big presence, he is that big body, and he is able to make those busts and, and get that extra gain line when he does hit the tackle. Yeah. I the it's just so interesting to look at this game. If I was a Brumbies fan, I think I'd have pretty mixed emotions because I'd be happy that the team's got the win. But I'd also be very like your heart would mu- must just have been racing, thinking this was so close run, and we nearly bottled it and gave it away at the end there. Yeah, they did. They very nearly did, and and I thought that Jordy Barrett was going to kick it. He missed the one beforehand, and this one was a little easier kick for him, and yet he still missed it. So they they got out of jail, but they'll take it, and I think they deserved it. Being at home after a hard three games away in this Trans Tasman competition, I think. Being back in front of their home fans really shifted them up that extra level. They were also playing for Alan Alatoa, that was his 100th and one Super Rugby game, 101st, sorry. But (laughs) he was really playing for his family and his friends that were there to support him. I think it was a good initiative by the Premiers as well to honour the Pacific Island players in the team 
and those special jerseys they were wearing and the the pre-game rituals that they were they were having I think lifted them and I don't think we can go any further without mentioning the outstanding effort of Rob Valentini in this game he played yeah, phenomenally that's a very good point yeah he did He's just out of his skin this game. I don't know if it comes down to that Pacific Heritage, uh, the Pacific Island round or whatever they were calling it, because uh, Alan Alatoa did speak after the game and they and Ross Kelly asked him, why was he so good this game? And he said, I, I think he's just honoring his friends and family and the people that he's playing for. But he's been in great form, this Trans-Tasman comp, and it's great to see that he's actually being as physical or even more physical than he was in Super Rugby AU and carrying that form in against the Kiwis. He's yep. really shaping up as that standout number six for the for Australian rugby. Yeah, and it's really interesting to be considering. I mean, we might do this next week or the week after, but we're, we're probably going to get a Wallaby squad on the thirteenth, so next Sunday, next Sunday is the word. And it'd be. I wonder if we should even look at doing maybe a Wallabies midweek pod or something like that, where we yeah. try and pick it. Um, that could be fun. Good idea, good idea. But <laughs> you just need to look at some of the key players that have really stood up in this Trans-Tasman comp because it's all well and good players who look great in Super Rugby AU. But as the uh, record where we've only won two games now, so what is it, 18 to 2? Yep. 18 to 2? Um, games in this competition show there's a big difference between playing Aussies week in, week out and playing the Kiwis. And so you need to look for players that are standing up in the matches against the Kiwis. And uh, you don't have a better example of that than Rob Valentini unless you maybe look at Izzy Parisi. And they're the two that are really showing off for me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then we'll, we'll talk about it more next week. Yep. Do want to count the eggs before the hatch? This is true. This is true. Well, why don't we move on to the final match of the weekend, which was played on Sunday afternoon. It was the Chiefs hosting the Melbourne Rebels in Leichhardt. Sydney. Or Leichhardt. Yeah, in, <laughs> in Sydney, Sydney. Because the Chiefs hosting the Rebels, the Rebels in Sydney. Yeah, it was really good, though, um, of them to be flexible and willing to play this game in Sydney being with the fact that the Rebels weren't allowed to travel internationally because of the restrictions on people from Victoria. So, that was out of my cart. Before we um, dive too heavily into this game, I do wonder if the Chiefs, as the Highlanders did last week, are a little bit dirty at the situation that arose with what ended up happening. So, last week with the Highlanders have meant to host the game in Queenstown, they got asked if they were happy to cancel the game and both teams shared two points. And they said no because they wanted to play for the bonus point. So they came out here and then they played the game and they didn't get the bonus point. So the Chiefs would have been in the same situation this week, being that their game was due to be played in Hamilton on Saturday. They said no, they would come out and play because they wanted to play for that bonus point. And again, the Rebels denied them a bonus point. So I wonder behind the scenes if they're thinking this game was really worth it or not. <laughs> well, it means they get the full points rather than sharing the points. Well, they get three points, I think. How many points do you get for a win in this game, in this Trans-Tasman comp? Isn't it four? I mean, I really should know that. I'm not uh, too sure. Yeah, yeah, it's four. Four? Okay, so you get four points. Yeah. But they also lost and had a few injuries in this game as well, so... Yeah, true. Yeah, look, so when we actually look at the match itself, it was an absolute debacle to start with. I um, I was watching it a bit this afternoon and watched the first 25 minutes and then turned it off because I was getting in trouble from my wife for needing to do things with our children um, <laughs> and was planning coming back to it later. And the first uh, 26 minutes saw the game just absolutely get taken away from the Rebels. They were useless. And the Chiefs jumped out to a 9 
19 to nothing lead in the first 26 minutes of the match. And that's when I turned it off. And then you sent me a message going, oh, the Rebels are still in this. And I went, what the hell's changed? Um, so they obviously came all back half-time. into the match. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which was incredible. So a lot of that was sparked by Izzy Nasirani, who had his best game in Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. And the timing couldn't have been better because uh, Dave Rennie was actually at Leichhardt watching the match. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So good on him. Good. And I think that's actually really valuable because I really rate Izzy Nasirani. And he provides, in my mind, a bit of a point of difference from Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson is a high quality player who's still super young and is also what his second season of professional rugby and he just doesn't always have the consistency you'd be wanting plus he doesn't have the bulk of his inaisirani either so whilst he's always willing to do the hard work in close he doesn't always get the the um the results that i'd be hoping for with some of the tight in carries but that being said, I really like Izzy Nasirani, so I'm obviously a little bit biased towards him. I think it comes down to game time. So Izzy Nasirani has had a very hot and cold season in that he missed most of Super Rugby AU through injury. And then yeah. he came back, I think, in the last game for Super Rugby AU, which he played and then had a break because they didn't make the finals. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he got a, a little niggly injury in one of the earlier rounds of Trans-Tasman and missed a game. And now he's back. So So I think he's actually starting to put some form together because this is probably his second or third game of the year in a row. So it's good to see that he's getting that game time and he's getting that consistent improvement. It's just been a hard year for him that he hasn't had a whole lot of game time through injury, which has been, you know, the story of a lot of players in this Rebel side. Yeah, and... I mean, look, there's, there's so, like the, like the Tars, you can look at the sacking of the coach and go, what was the point? And that's exactly what I think here for the Rebels. I actually disagree with the decision to sack Dave Vessels when they did. I don't, I think he probably deserved to leave at the end of the Trans-Tasman season because he didn't get the results that I believe he would have, should have been getting. But at the end of the Trans-Tasman season, not at the end of Super Rugby AU. I just don't see the value of putting an interim coach in Kevin Foote in when he's most likely not going to be taking the team forward and all it does well, is destabilize the team. Well, first of all, it actually sounds like he's in in the position to take on the Rebels full-time oh, next year. okay. So all it sounds right, like cool. they're going to stick with him, first of all. But I would say... I think it was a good worldwide search. Oh, everywhere. Everywhere. Even all the AFL clubs down there. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but I don't agree with this at all actually so that's good that we've got a bit of a point of difference i think it's shown the rebels change in these last few weeks has actually shown that dave vessels needed to go because we haven't seen them improve year on year for a number of years with dave vessels in charge and now that he's gone they've already started to make some changes to the back line matt tamua should have been playing 12 much earlier through the year than he was dave vessels wanted him to be playing 10 probably because of his experience and the fact that he was the captain but we've shown, it's been seen that Carter Gordon is a great young prospect who needs game time. So it probably would have been better to have Matt Tamua shift out to 12 and Carter Gordon get some experience in Super Rugby AU as opposed to Trans-Tasman. But now that we've seen that, it's not Vessels in charge. He has he has made that change and we've got Matt Tamua playing 12, which he probably will end up playing for the Wallabies and Carter Gordon's now getting game time at 10. I think this this move needed to happen weeks ago 
and Dave Vessels just didn't want to do it. So I think it's been a good thing that Vessels isn't there at the moment. And I think this improvement has been has come down to a fresh take and maybe a new perspective for the players. A, free, a freedom maybe to do things that they weren't probably given before under Vessels. Yeah, okay. I can hear that. I mean, I disagree. I think part of it's being forced by injuries. So injuries to Campbell Magne as well have meant that they haven't had the consistency. So it's resulted in Tamua getting pushed out. Uh, but... I'm not sure if that is the actual reason it's resulted in Tamua getting pushed out. Maybe it is just a straight coaching decision. But either way, I agree Carter Gordon is looking uh, is looking like a really good prospect. He His first game wasn't brilliant, although he had a few flashes of positive involvements. And then this yeah. game, that little blind... Um, that blind pass offload that, that he offload. did on the inside was... Yeah. Oh, oh, that was gorgeous. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. And so, oh, plus the fact that he was like chipped in himself, just run through. Yeah, cool. I can do that. I, I just really enjoyed the enthusiasm and the confidence that he obviously has. So I'm keen to see much more of him and very, very much looking forward. Well, I think it. the other thing, by shifting Matt Tamu out to 12 and in the centers, he actually feeds the ball out much wider, much quicker. And that's something that we haven't seen a whole lot of in Super Rugby AU. The Rebels were struggling to score tries. And that is something that they've been able to do quite consistently in the last two weeks. They've scored yep. a fair few tries now. But uh, Marika Korobetti hadn't scored any tries before last week. Last week, he scored two. So I d- and last week was the first time that Matt Tamua was playing 12, if I'm not correct. So I just think that having Carter Gordon at 10 and Matt Tamua at 12 probably unlocks those back, the back three a little bit more particularly when you've got players like Marika Korobetti on one wing and Andrew Kellaway on the other, both very good finishers. I think having Matt Tamura at 12 frees them up and gets them a little bit more ball than they were seeing with the other players with Matt Tamura playing 10. Yep, yep. Yeah, mate, agree on all those fronts. I really, yeah, I think that's enough for me to say on that match. Um, anything else you want to quickly add? I've got one question for you before we move off this round, um, mm-hmm. and that is... This results this weekend have been much closer than anything we've seen in Super Rugby Trans-Tasman previously, apart from the Waratahs. Are the Aussie sides getting better or are the Kiwi sides starting to cruise home? I don't think the Kiwi sides are cruising home at all. I think that there is a great push to try and dominate the Australian teams from some of what our post is saying that we put up on Twitter. There are a lot of there's a lot of joy that comes from a good Kiwi spanking of an Aussie team <laughs> and they're never going to let up on that opportunity. Plus, they're playing for All Blacks jerseys because the selection is going to be in about a week um, or their selections will be coming up soon because uh, they've got a few games against some of the Pacifica teams. Plus, there is the bonus points required to top to trans and get into the final. So... In my mind, I don't see the New Zealand teams taking their foot off the pedal at all. They might underperform, but that might just be us playing better or them having a poor match. So I think that the Rebels definitely improved after a shocking start to both halves and actually finished both halves of the game quite well. The Brumbies obviously stepped up their game. The Tars were decent for the first half before just being absolutely pathetic in the second. And the Reds, apart from that one blitz period when BPA was off the field had the measure of the blues for large portions of the game and the Western Force were decent against the Crusaders although it was a weakened Crusaders team and you could also say the Crusaders had two or three tries disallowed yes yes we could yeah I I think there has been some improvement from the Aussie sides and I do think that the gap is tightening between Australia and New Zealand 
Uh, I don't, yeah, I agree with what you said, Ando. I don't think that the New Zealands are cruising home. But some of the, you know, rotation policy this week we saw with the Highlanders resting players and things uh, has made it easier for the Australian teams in some regards. If we take, some, like, if we if we look at the Crusaders with Mawanga or the Highlanders with Aaron Smith, we might look at another 20-point score just from those players alone. So I think we still need to be realistic around what we're seeing. But it is good to see that the Aussie sides are keeping touch and are getting closer. Agreed, mate. Agreed. All right. I think that's enough to wrap up that round. Should we head on to the locker room? Let's go. Let's go. All right. Time to enter the locker room now and answer your fan question and comments. So the first question get comes to us from Ben van der Linden on Facebook. And he asks, "What are the four, why are the force getting so close to the Kiwi teams, three out of four, when the big two have been so up and down in a way of performance and result? I think a big part of that comes down to consistency of selection. So you look at some of the key injuries that the Reds and the, um, well, particularly the Brumbies have had. They've had Samu out. They've had um, James Slipper out as well. Who else are they? Uh, Cusack as well. Scotty Seo. Like there's a, they've got a bunch of key players that just haven't been available for them. And so I think there's been a lot of inconsistency within a team selection for the Brumbies. Uh, In terms of the Reds, they, their first game was a bit of a write-off. The second game was, they were just blown away by a freaking incredible Crusaders team. And yeah, I think we're just seeing some of the difficulty of being, of having to play away against New Zealand teams early on against some of the best teams. Whereas the Force, they had their first three games at home. Like, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and so everyone's having to yeah. travel to play them. So I think when you combine consistency of selection with consistency of home ground, uh, it just makes a massive difference. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the other thing too is that the Western Force have, able, have been able to create this team basically from scratch they had a bit of a team they pulled together last year but this year they've been able to bring in some international talent to boost the starting side but also they've still got that underside of the reserve grade of players who are coming through who will be the future so they've got a good balance between having the talent to start the games but also the young talent coming through who are learning from the more experienced internationals but are getting better with time uh, as you said, Ando, the, the Brumbies, particularly with those injuries, we have gone to show that there is a little bit of a gap between some of the reserve players and the starting players of these teams. And so I just don't think the, the Western Force have as big a gap there. Uh, and that's probably from their own yeah. design. But all the, that's yeah, but even then, just quickly on that point, because I made a mistake, they only had their first two games at home. I think uh, the Force haven't also been getting that close to the Kiwi teams. They got absolutely pumped by the Hurricanes by 37 points last week. Uh, don't don't forget that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the results are up and down, aren't they? But yep, it is what it is. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Comes to us from Graham Lodge, and he asks, well, I think he's. this is more of a, a statement, but how good is the depth of the Reds? Yeah, they lost, but they were without O'Connor, Hegarty, Pattaya, Murphy, McWright, and Uru that I can think of. Isn't this justification for Thorne's request to get the NRC or equivalent up and running ASAP? 
Yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, I think well, we got to recognise that McWright and Uri were left out by choice, not because of injury. So that's something to be said. But they were replaced by players who went okay, I guess. And it is uh, a lot of external people are saying, well, people within Australian rugby are simply saying that we need that tier because having a amateur competition, which is a shoot shield, which is the hospital cup, is it's not an effective pathway for or development team for super rugby level you can see within a bunch of the players that are having to make that step up from club rugby to the to super rugby is that it's really really difficult and their performances to begin with are often quite poor so i think having a thing like the nrc is incredibly important now maybe again once the season is finished this could be an opportunity for us to kind of brainstorm and think what a a realistic or potential pathway could actually be what that competition might look like but it something like that needs to occur there needs to be an opportunity for um, players to get experience in a professional environment prior to hitting super rugby level because the reds are a great example of the team that you can create if you're able to keep people together in a similar pathway for an an extended period of time I i think everyone in australian rugby agrees that we need some form of nrc and we need to get it up and running as soon as possible so let's move on uh, next question comes to us from Oliver Josen Reeves, and he asks, "How would you guys rank the Australian teams after this round, despite the younger, as if we could get younger, red sides?" <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I've I've just quickly jotted this down, but looking at it, I'm not that sold either. But let's just say it uh, first. Actually, let's go last. Last Rebs, I think they have been poorer than expected. And it's only in the last week or so their back line has actually been able to score any tries. Whereas the Tars, who have sucked massively in a defensive front, at least are consistently scoring points against New Zealand teams. And that's there's something in that. So I'll take it. So fifth is Rebs, fourth Tars, third Brumbies, because they're massively underperforming in my mind, um, apart from their pretty scratchy win this weekend. Uh, the fourth, second, Reds first in team in terms of kind of quality versus ex- expectations. Oh, really? Okay. Well, if we're ranking them in, in those finishing orders, um, I'll have to go with Waratah's last and fifth spot. I just don't think that there's any excuse for the second half performance that they put out this week. It's been consistent throughout Super Rugby Tasman. There's no excuse now for a team at this level with this amount of time together that should be this defensively poor. They haven't improved in their defensive side of things at all in the last few weeks, and that's a real worry. So for me, uh, yeah, fifth space the place, the Waratahs, then the Rebels. They're hot and cold moments, but I think they've shown in these last two weeks that they actually are able to score points, and they have pushed both teams, both the Chiefs and the Hurricanes. So I think there needs to be some credit there. Uh, They only finished within a few points of each of them. So four-spot Rebels, then I'm going to go with the Western Force. I think that they, whilst being and pushing some teams, they haven't done enough to win a game. So that sort of sits where it sits. Second would be the Brumbies. They've had a good win over the Hurricanes now. Um, And first place, the Reds. Yep, okay. I can understand all those reasonings, even if I fundamentally disagree with you. But anyway, we can move on. <laughs> well, that's it for the uh, the locker room. We haven't got any other questions this week. So, shall we move on to our nice predictions? Nice and simple, mate. Oh, oh, I'm just checking. No, okay. Someone just liked a post as opposed to adding something on. Okay, that's it. Let's move on. Should we just go straight into our picks? 
Yeah, please. Let's do it. So to start off the next round, we have the Friday night game will be the Hurricanes hosting the Reds and then the Brumbies hosting the Highlanders. Then we'll move into uh, the Rebels and the Crusaders, Blues, Western Force, Tars, Chiefs. So starting with the Hurricanes, Reds, what's your pick and by how much? This is a tough one because we don't know which team Brad Thorne's going to name. And in saying that, the Hurricanes are sitting in, I think, second space at the moment and they need to get a bonus point to really finish this competition strong. But I could also see the Reds being able to upset them, but in Wellington, that's a big ask as well. I'm going to go for the Canes by five. Canes by five, okay. I um, just want to point out with the most love that the Canes are actually in fourth. It's the Highlanders in second place. Are they? Because um, the Canes lost to the Brumbies. That's so true, actually. In yeah. Fourth. Um, so, with all that in mind, I don't see the Canes getting into the final. Um, numerically, they've got too much ground and it will require the Blues, the Highlanders and the Satyrs to all lose. Uh, for the Canes to get up, and that's just not going to happen. So I think the Hurricanes know their season is over. So with that being said, I also don't think the Reds are going to get up away from home against them. So I will say Hurricanes by eight. Okay. Is my guess. Hurricanes by eight. Okay, moving into the Brumbies versus the Highlanders. So the Highlanders are currently sitting second on a ladder and will want to um, solidify that finals position. And they're going up against the Blues, who are currently in first place, who are playing the Western... No, oh, hang on, hang on. The Blues are playing the Western oh, Force. Right. So I think that the Blues are almost guaranteed a win at home against the Force. So the Highlanders are going to be coming in strong for this one. Considering how close that Brumbies game was on the weekend, I think, and I haven't heard any news about major injury returns or anything like that, so I'm going to be picking the Highlanders by 10 for this game. Okay. I'm going to go with the Brumbies. I think they want to, they've want they spoken this week about around wanting to finish this competition strong and putting their best team on the park to be able to do that. They're playing at home, and we know that the Brumbies perform well at GIO Stadium. It's their fortress. Uh, if they can... Well, we've got Nick White, who will start this week. He's back from injury, and, and whilst Ryan, Long- Ryan Lonigan was good, he didn't have the impact that, that White did this week. So if they can get some other injury, injured players back, like um, Nicerani, uh, if they can get Pete Samu back, that could be a Samu, big inclusion yep. for them. And I don't know how far away James Slipper is either. But I'm going to go with Brums by five as well. Brums by five, similar to last game. Okay, Brums by five. Rebels versus Satyrs. Now, the Satyrs are currently sitting on third, but they're equal on points with the Highlanders. They're just, they have a 11 points less points differential. So they're going to have to win. They're going to have to get a bonus point and also overcome 11 points of points differential against the Highlanders if the Highlanders win and get a bonus point. So with all that being said, the Crusaders will have their full strength team and they're just going to throw everything at the Rebels. So even though the Rebels did play better if you exclude the first 26 minutes of the game, uh, I still think the Crusaders are going to run away with this and I'm going to go Crusaders by 25. Ooh, 25. Yeah, I'm, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at the match, yeah. the, the freaking Rebels still lost by a fair bit and they even played 
decent for a big portion of the game. Yeah, and that's the thing with this Super Rugby Dance Tasman is the the Kiwi sides have shown that they can put points on quickly. And whilst teams may look whilst watching the game like they're hanging on, all of a sudden they're 10, 15 points behind and it's just, it happens so quickly. I really think yeah. that the Crusaders are going to pull in a performance like they did against the Reds to try and finish this competition strong. It's quite an unusual situation for the Crusaders to be sitting in, in what are they, third spot at the moment on the table? To coming into the final um, spot of a competition to not be at the top or in that first spot, sort of already secured a finals. But so they're going to throw everything they've got at the Rebels to try and get as many points as they can. Scott Robertson already came out this week after their uh, performance against the Force when they w- weren't able to get that bonus point and said that their final spot might already be over now. So I, I they're aware. Of- they're going to put everything they can. And if they put in a performance like they did against the, the Reds, I can see them just absolutely blowing this Rebels team away. Uh, I'm going to go by Crusaders by 20, just to be conservative. Yep. Yep, cool. Fair enough. Uh, Blues versus Western Force. Now, I mentioned this before. The Blues are top of the table by one extra point. They're on 19 and need to get the win and get a bonus point to stay clear from any potential points differential issues. So I I also think that if you look at the tries that the Western Force got, uh, one of them was from Jordan Oluwafela at the end of the game. That was a fantastic kick through by Carl Godwin through to him. That's not going to happen every game. And although and it Oluwafela is his last is game for the Western player. Force ever. And the first try of the match. No, this will be. That one was. Oh, this will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, Tony Poole is out as well because his knee injury, he ought to have inj- injured his knee. So, I just am not... I'm still not yeah. convinced about their attacking ability. Even because, just because those were pretty chancy tries. They were great tries. I really enjoyed them. Great to watch. But it's not something that's built on systems that you can repeat week in, week out if those players are injured or unavailable. So, I think the Blues are going to run away with this one by, let's say, by 20 Blues by 20. Yeah, I, just, I don't see the Blues not running away with this, but I just have hoped that the Western Force are able to hang on and try and keep them without a massive score. So I'll say uh, Blues by 15. Okay. Now, the only way in which the Chiefs are getting into the finals is if they win this game with a bonus point and every other New Zealand team loses. So, with that being said, the Chiefs will not be getting into the finals. I think they might well rest a bunch of players, and they might well look to just blood a few players that maybe haven't had much game time. So, I'm going to be picking a Tars really? win here. Uh, in the fun- No, I'm not. Definitely not. Uh, so, I think it'll probably be... The Tars just can't defend to save their lives. They any time a team gets multiple phases up against them, aligns and well. Any time a team gets in their twenty-two, they come away line. with points. Yeah, so I'll be going Chiefs by oh, twenty-two. Okay, just to be different. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw tipping comp away now. I don't think I, I'm nowhere near at the top, so there's no point. I'm gonna back the Tars this week. I think you know what? I just think <laughs> yes. The Chiefs are coming off a three-week campaign in Australia. They've been here for three weeks now. They played the Reds, then the who they play the Rebels and now they play the Waratahs. So that's a that's a long way away from home. They weren't meant to be here that whole long, but they have been. This their competition's basically over. 
the Waratahs have their whole sort of reputation to play for and potentially spots in the in the team next year. So I don't see them improving dramatically, but I think they should be able to get up like in a, a better performance than they have the last few weeks. I'm also that Brookvale Oval's always been a good... This is where the game's been played. It's always a good venue for the Waratahs because they pack it out. On the Northern Beach, people go there regardless of how the Waratahs are going. So if they can get a good crowd there and there's a great atmosphere when that stadium's full, that might be enough to get the Waratahs over the line. So I'm going to say Waratahs by three. Ooh, I hope it, I hope it comes off. Genuinely, I do. Uh, but I want no, those I points. Get it. I get so it. I'm going <laughs> Chiefs by 22. All right, I think we can call it there. I think we can call it there. Thank you so much, dear listeners, for getting to this part of the pod. It has been fun to just chat back and forth about a weekend of rugby, which, I mean, look, we only got one win. It was pretty chancy at that, but some of the performances were better at points. So I'm somewhat happy with the direction that the competition is taking. Either way, next weekend, this time, we're going to have most likely a Wallabies team to chat about. So I'm super excited for that and can't wait for the Wallabies competition to start up against France. So yeah, it's, it's good times ahead. It is. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you all next week. Bye. Bye.